You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Every Nation GTA, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, we are continuing in our fall series called Salt and Light. And so um, I was driving in this morning to our service here in Toronto, and uh, I live on the West End, Etobicoke, and um, I usually catch the subway in, but today I got, was able to drive in. And it was beautiful. Uh, the sun was shining. It's crisp outside, but the sun, when the sun shines, it makes all the difference, right? Yeah, it can be minus 15, but if the sun is shining, it's all good. It's all good. And so, um, and it reminded me about 12 years ago, the first time Chantal and I came to Toronto, we came here on a week trip to discern if this is where God was calling us. It was way back in 2011. It was towards the end of October. And it was kind of like this week. It was really miserable for most of the week. It was raining. <laughs> um, now, I come from Cape Town. If you don't know Cape Town, Cape Town's beautiful. It's got mountains. It's got beaches. Um, and so when you come to Toronto, it's a different kind of beauty, I would say. Um, but the, the, we just drove around and we're just looking at all buildings and the parts of the areas and town, parts of town that we were in looked kind of decrepit. And so it's pretty underwhelming, to say the least. Except on the last Sunday. And the last Sunday, we had people drive us in. The way that I drove in this morning along the QEW, and it, the sun shone for the first time. And I just got a, a glimpse uh, of just some of the beauty of this city. And uh, it took more than that, right, to get us to move here. It should take, take more than that. So we, we felt like God was in this and discerning that. And so I sell that to say is even driving in this morning reminded me of just the sense of um, purpose coming to the city, of really discerning that God is really doing something in the city as he is in every part of the world. And I know lots of you didn't grow up in this city. Lots of you have similar or different stories to me, um, but you're here. And I don't know what got you here, but uh, in the sense, what we're trying to discern in this series is discern, God, what is your purpose for having us here? It's not just to have a job. It's not just that my kids get better education from when they were, not just to have better opportunities. Those are all legitimate, valid reasons. But if we're followers of Jesus, there is a greater purpose that we're always seeking. God, what are you up to and how do I join you in that? And that's ultimately what this series is about, is we're trying to take serious Jesus' words to us as, as church and as followers. You are the light. Uh, you're the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And we'll be finishing with that particular text in a couple of weeks' time. And so, so far in this series, maybe it's best summed up as one author said, the mission of God's people is carried on in and for the world. It centers on the gospel of God, and it lays a demanding privilege on the church. And so we can see some things there in that, uh, in that statement right there. We've looked at the very first week, we looked at the big story, the grand story that Scripture is telling us, how it's revealing God to us, but it's also revealing God's purpose for his creation and for humanity from the beginning all the way to the end and including the present. We looked at that. We looked at the context that that gives us to understand God's mission and God's purpose in the world we looked last week at the gospel, the good news, how that, how that intersects, the good news intersects what God's doing with our lives, how it's good news to us that God invites us as a people to be included in what he's doing in the world, primarily through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, as it says here today, it lays, all of that lays a demanding privilege on the church, the people of God. And so we're going to turn to that today. 
of what does that demanding privilege on us as his people. And so we're going to go to a familiar passage of scripture. If you've grown up in the church, if you've been a Christian for five minutes, I'm pretty sure you might have heard these words that I'm about to read. And so with that, that's great. There's some familiarity, but with familiarity comes some challenges. It's really hard to hear it with different ears, right? And if you've read and heard something over and over and over again, you kind of like check out, heard that, done that. And I really want to ask you to try it. Let's engage this text with different eyes and different ears today. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask and uh, invite you by your spirit, the great teacher, to lead us into the truth that you want us to hear this morning. God, connect and meet with every single one of us where we're at uh, and do what you do best. Do your work in our lives for your glory and our joy. Amen. And so the context for this, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, if you're unfamiliar um, uh, with what's going on here, this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And in fact, it's quite a few days after the resurrection, probably closer to his ascension. And so we know that Jesus spent about 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection, before his ascension. And in that time, he spoke mostly about the kingdom of God. And we explored what the kingdom of God means in previous messages. I encourage you to go back and hear that. And so this is towards the end of his time with his disciples and he's giving them some really critical instructions. And so it tells us that these are the 11 disciples. And it tells us that as they come and they meet with Jesus, and he had told them even before his death, like, hey, I'm going to come and visit you in Galilee. I mean, even already before he was going to the cross, he's like, hey, just remember, we've got a date post my death. I mean, is that not a Jesus thing to do that I don't want? Like, hey, we've got a date after my death. We're going to be hanging out on this mountain. I've got some important things to tell you. And so they come, and here's the risen Christ before them. And it says something very interesting, right? What does it say in your Bible and what we've read there? It says some worshipped him and some doubted. Is that not a picture of the church? Is that not maybe a picture of us this morning? That our hearts are worshiping Jesus. Our hearts are inclined to focus on him. And at the same time, if we're truly honest, we do have doubts. We have doubts about certain things. And so we've uh, spent some time at this church in previous uh, sermons and series talking about doubt. And I think there's a lot of misconception about doubt. But let me tell you this. Doubt is a very common experience in the believer's life. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Let me tell you that again. Doubt is not the same as unbelief. Uh, doubt questions faith, sometimes questions what I believe. Unbelief refuses to believe. And there's a very big difference. And so I want to encourage you in that. If you have doubts, you're in a great place. Eleven disciples spent three years with Jesus. They're before the risen Christ. And some of them are still thinking, some of them are still hesitant, like, what is going on? Can we give some grace to them? Their minds have been exploding. They, these are Jewish men. They know there's only one God, but now it's like one God, but he has a son. 
And now he's telling us about a spirit trinity. And so it's blowing their paradigm. And so they're worshiping Jesus. And here's the important part just on that one. This is not even really part of the crux of this message, but I really felt like I wanted to encourage us in this. The important part is they're focused on Jesus. They saw him. They looked to him. And so worship through your doubts. Worship through your hesitation. Stay connected in community. Stay connected on focusing on Jesus. And so back to then these powerful words that Jesus says to these disciples and through them, through all disciples, through the ages of the church. Now, uh, it might even say in your Bible above this paragraph something called the Great Commission, right? If you've heard that, it's if you have been a Christian for five minutes, you will know that this passage is often referred to as the Great Commission. And so I'm kind of curious. I'm a learner. I'm a teacher. So I like to like, well, okay, where did the Great Commission come from? Because it's not in Scripture, right? It's not. It was added to help us. You know, the, the paragraph headings in your Bible, that was added to, to help us. And most times they're helpful, but sometimes they can kind of be unhelpful because that's somebody's interpretation of what that passage is about. So I did a little bit of digging on your behalf. This is how I spend uh, some of my spare time. So you're welcome. So you don't have to do it. Um, who coined the term the Great Commission? Well, it's not known... Exactly, but it's largely likely that it would have been a Dutch missionary by the name of, very Dutch name, Justinian von Veltz, around about the 17th century. So some time, actually, way, 1600 years of the church has gone on, and, and he coined it, but it was really popularized by a British missionary to China called Hudson Taylor in about the 19th century. He really popularized what's today called the Great Commission. Now, in our Every Nation movement, the Great Commission is really um, uh, cherished. You know, a lot of our movement is based on going and making disciples. And so we're very um, fond of this term. Um, and so since then, since uh, a couple of hundred years ago, the Great Commission has been used heavily as the rallying call for anything mission and anything missionary. Any mission conference you go to, any missionary, at some stage, the Great Commission is going to ooze out in some shape or form. And so, not to knock this, but this can be unhelpful in some ways. This can be, has led to some uh, unhelpful imbalances, I think, when it comes to understanding God's mission. Here are just uh, three. Number one, that mission is all about going somewhere else, Right? So a lot of the emphasis in the Great Commission is on that word go, right? And when we hear go, we think, well, that can't mean me staying. It means going. And so when we think about mission, it means about going somewhere else, usually to kind of some exotic destination like deep, darkest Africa. Or for me, it was coming from deepest, darkest Africa to deep, dark, cold Canada. But it's all about going somewhere else. And it's usually a select few who do that going. We call them missionaries. And so that by default excludes a massive majority of the church. Or at best, they fund those going, or they pray for those going, or they send those going. Listen, I'm not knocking that. We need people to do that. But is that the essence of what Jesus is talking about in mission? Secondly, the another imbalance that this can lead to is that mission can then become all about just evangelistic activity. And that it's measured in a very depersonalized way, you know, souls saved, right? And so it's all about evangelistic activity. And then the third imbalance, I think, sometimes 
happens is that then mission reduces this gospel, this good news, and we spent the whole of last week, the sermon, it reduces just to a message of salvation. Now, it is a message of salvation. We talked about that last week. It's the good news of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. But that's in the context of so much bigger that he's doing beyond just salvation. It's the redemption and the renewal of all creation and people in that. And so what we're trying to do in this series is get a much bigger view of God's mission and God's purpose And then by default, us getting swept up in that and actually finding that we all have a place in that. We all have a privilege in that. We all have a weighty privilege in fulfilling that, not just a very select few. And so um, part of helping us understand this bigger, integrated, holistic idea of God's mission, it's really helpful to rely on some smarter people than us. And so many years ago, in 1974, there was a congress gathered called the Lausanne Congress, and it was within evangelical Christianity, there was a great concern for the evangelizing of the world. Um, It was gathered, I think it was initiated by Billy Graham, but eventually a lot of evangelical leaders got together and they began to meet. And they've had one Congress, two Congress, and the third Congress happened in 2010 in Cape Town. Uh, The next one, I think, is next year in Korea, I think it is. And so this just gathers people who have a great concern for the Great Commission, a great concern for uh, the evangelization of the world, taking seriously what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Anyway, I give you that context to say, as part of it, they come out with these really well-thought-out, crafted statements of what they believe is mission, what they believe is the church's role in that. You can go on their website and look at all that stuff if that's kind of how um, you like to spend your time. Here's what they had to say about mission, and I want to read it to you today. Integrated mission means discerning, proclaiming, and living out the biblical truth that the gospel is God's good news. Through the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for individual persons, for society, and for creation, All three are broken and suffering because of sin. All three are included in the redeeming love and mission of God. All three must be part of the comprehensive mission of God's people. And that's beautiful. And so what we're not, we're not trying to minimize the Great Commission. We're trying to expand the Great Commission to say it's not just about getting souls saved. It's about what God's doing in redeeming a broken society. And by the way, his creation, long before climate change was a woke thing, an exciting thing, the people of God should be concerned because God gave us stewardship of his creation. If anyone should be concerned about how the studio of creation is going, it should be Christians first, not because it's the flavor of the year, right? Because it's deeply rooted in who God is. It's deeply rooted in his purpose. And so there again we see the world. This is the scope, the context of what God's mission. It's not narrowed into a specific view. It's the world. He's doing something in the world. The gospel is the good news that goes into this world, and the church has a part to play. And what connects the world, the gospel, and the church is this world called is this word called mission. It's this word called mission. And so back to the Great Commission. So thank you, Justinian von Veltz. But for 1,600 years, the church didn't have the Great Commission as a title in their Bible. They understood it not just as a missional passage, but they understood it as God establishing his new community people called the church. 
You know, you must remember, we, we, the Bible's written for us, but it's not written to us, right? So the earliest followers of Jesus are Jewish men. I'm looking around, I know most of you here, I don't think there's any Jewish men here. But if you're a Jewish person, right, you understand there's only one God. It's been drilled into you from an early age. And Christianity comes along, it's like, oh, so, but now it's not just one God, it's God in three persons. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so when we begin to hear it through their ears, we begin to read this passage, the Great Commission, through, begin to hear it in a different way. It's God's establishing a new community that's Trinitarian baptized, that's immersed in this a new idea for them, not new, God's always been a Trinity, but new idea for them. Uh, like one author says, the disciples, as the apostolic authority of the soon-to-be spirit-empowered church, are called together in order to be drawn into, called into, the ongoing mission of the triune God. There's the key point, the ongoing mission. The Great Commission didn't start the mission of God. God, the essence, the very nature of God is missional. The very nature of God is to go outward. That's why he created he wanted to bring people into the fellowship and the love and the relationship of the Holy, of the, the Holy Trinity. And so he creates us to be part of that. We broke that, and we know the story is all about being repairing that uh, and us to have relationship with him and to enjoy creation um, with him through that. And so this text is commissioning the church to share in and embody God's character, God's heart, God's love, and God's ongoing mission to the world. And so God, by his nature, and then by default, us being in the nature of God, our nature becomes to reflect God's nature, a nature of moving purposefully out into the world. And so as we begin to think about that, as, as Jesus is laying the foundation, as he's calling these 11 disciples who are going to play a key literally foundational role in the building of his new community called the church. He's putting into place a foundation of the essence of the church. The essence of the church is to be missional. It's not something we add to the church. It's not a cool name. This church is missional. That's a missional church. The, the nature of the church is to be the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus is the nature of the Father, Son, and Spirit. It's all about being missional, about going, about sending, about moving out purposefully into the world. So with that in mind, let's look at this text again. And let's ask three questions, the why, the what, and the how behind this and what he's calling us, this demanding privilege, as we heard on the church. What is that demanding privilege? Firstly, the why. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, the very next word is therefore. And whenever you see therefore, you have to look back at what was just said, right? Because what's about to come, the basis of what's about to come is on the strength of what's just been said. And what's just been said is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I mean, that right there is a startling statement. All authority, not some authority, most authority, authority in the church, authority of your spiritual lives, all authority in heaven and earth. I mean, in heaven, you can't get more everything than heaven and earth. It's like everything. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And by default, that doesn't mean this person has the authority. That person, you might have kings and rulers and 
prime ministers and presidents and governments and billionaires, and they may think they have some authority, but I want to tell you, all authority has been given to Jesus. Now, you can reject that or we can accept that, but he is making a bold statement. This is a very different reality. All authority, it's the universal scope of the good news that Jesus is Lord and that he is king. And so for us, it's a reality check. It's Jesus commissioning his disciples isn't so much a rescue mission for the world. I mean, in part it is. The world does need rescuing. But by far, it's a reality mission. This is the reality. This is the grand story. Like, this has always been what God's about. And now Jesus is the consummation, the fulfillment of that. Jesus is Lord. That's a reality, and it's a reality we can accept or reject, and we know that. People choose to accept or reject reality on a day-to-day basis. We have lovely conspiracy theories to help people who want to reject parts of reality. And so, but your life is going to be that much easier if you align yourself with what's really true and good and beautiful. And so this is a reality check. The question for us is the question we asked in the first message. What story are you in? What story about life are you believing? What story about reality are you embracing? Is it the Canadian dream? Is that the biggest reality for you? Is it that your family is set up for success and well-being? Is that it? Is that the ultimate reality for you? Is it that you achieve romance and find love in this life? Is that ultimate reality for you? Because Jesus comes along, and all of those may not be bad things, and Jesus might have that as part of reality for you. But Jesus is emphatically saying, this is ultimate reality. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Right now in our world, in your world, in my life, is that ultimate reality. And so it's asking not how to make the Bible and the story of God relevant to my life. Is is my life relevant to the reality of the story that God's telling me about through his Bible and through his scripture? So just a different way to look at it. It puts God at the center, not me at the center. And the question is to me, do I join that? Do I accept that? And so we may have doubt. We come back to doubt. And that's good. We should ask questions. If you're going to build your life in reality, please ask questions. Right? Please discover and figure out, is this true? There's lots of religions out there that are talking about an ultimate reality. Is this true? And part of why I believe you can, be, you can say this is true because there's only one religion that I know of that had the founder rise from the dead and not die again. And that's another thing you can choose to accept or reject. But if it is true, it changes everything. Certainly did for Jesus because he comes as the risen Christ and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So that's the why. The why of what we do anything. The why of why we worship. The why of why we have small groups. The why of we do this Bible teaching. The why of why you jumped in the car or got on the subway or however you got here. There's a million other things you could be doing with your time. The why behind it is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is, there's a new reality. There's a reality behind this reality. Isn't it good news that there's a, there's a reality behind the reality of 24-7 social media? Is that not good news to you? <laughs> like this influencer, oh my gosh, that influence, oh my God, this, cons- oh my goodness, that politician, mm, this person on what we should do in the Middle East, that person on what we should do with the Russian and Ukrainian thing. It's overwhelming, isn't it? Jesus is Lord, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Now that's a simple, 
or simplified answer, but it's complex, right? It, it, it's fleshed out in different ways. So here comes the what. Okay, if that's the why, therefore, what does Jesus say? Because of that, make disciples of all nations. All authority, all nations. We're going to pick up a theme here. Not some nations, not just here, not just this Jewish people. No, Jews, Gentiles. It's always been about the world. Even when I chose Abraham, even when I chose Israel, yes, I chose a specific people to be part from the world, for the world. It's always God's heart to make the circle bigger, to be inclusive of all nations. It's the universal relevance of the good news. Jesus is Lord. And can I tell you, you and I, we are in a city that literally has the nations in a city. Like there are not many cities like Toronto that literally have nations of the world that have come here. So you don't need to go. You just need to go across the street. You really don't need to go to some exotic destination. It's here. I mean, you like food? Does anyone like food? I mean, you can go around the world in food just here in Toronto. It's amazing. It's getting towards lunchtime, so we turn our attention to food. (laughs) But Nate, why are you here? Like, of all places in the world you could be, you're in Toronto. You're in the greater Toronto area, GTA. God's up to something here, and he's got you in mind to be part of that. And so the imperative is making disciples. It's the clear focus. Now, making disciples assumes evangelism, right? You, I mean, we'll try this out. After the service today, go in the street and tell the first person you meet, hey, do you want to be a disciple? And like, they were like, well, like, can I take you somewhere? Do you need help? Like, they might look at you. So it assumes that we have to engage people like way back, right? So it assumes a lot. But I think for uh, a good part of even, I'm going to poke fun at evangelical Christianity, which is kind of kind of where we we're in as as every nation, is uh, part of the imbalance that we came back to the Great Commission is we focus so much on making decisions for Jesus and we haven't made disciples of Jesus. You know, so many decisions were made for Jesus, and I am not knocking that. Look, any by any which way that people get to hear the gospel is still good news. I mean, Jesus even said that to his disciples. Look, even if they're messing it up, they're hearing good news. Leave them. Let them be. But I think Jesus is really not. I think he is interested in disciples, not decisions uh, for him or decisions for heaven. Um, in your New Testament, the word Christian is used three times. The word disciple is used 270 times. The overwhelming focus is for us to make disciples of Jesus, and that's hard work. And what's happened is go and make has been replaced by come and see. Now, if you're you're here, great. I'm glad you came, and hopefully you see that we're a community that's perfect, that we're trying to follow Jesus. So again, come and see can work as well. But Jesus said, go and make. Go to where people are. Don't expect them to come to where you are. And so much of the church, so much of the Western church, expects people to climb over big barriers to kind of get to where we are. And I think the heart of Jesus is so opposite. The heart of Jesus, if you study the gospel, he went to where people are. He's eating and drinking with people far from God. So much so that the religious people of his time begin to give him a label. You're a friend of sinners. You're that guy that eats and drinks with people of far from God. How on earth could you be a holy man? 
And I think Jesus models for us that there are unnecessary barriers to the barrier of the cross. The cross is going to be a fence. You can't minimize that. But we can minimize all the other silly things that can get the way, in the way, church culture, church rules, that kind of thing, to getting people to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so part of when we reduce the gospel to just being a salvation message is that we don't have the liberty to exclude the cost of discipleship in that. You know, in Jesus' evangelism strategy, he was very clear, like, you want to follow me? Okay, great. This is what it's going to take. Pick up your cross. You're going to die and come with me. Let's do it. I mean, that's, a, that's quite an evangelistic sales pitch. And so make disciples is the clear call to the church. The demand and the cost of discipleship can't be excluded from that. And so he goes from the why, therefore, the what, make disciples of all nations. And then he even gives us a little bit of the how. And the how is not an exhaustive list, right? But this is as, uh, as we want to fulfill uh, Jesus' words. These three words describe the process of making disciples. He says, go. Now, that's probably better translated as you go. So he's saying, hey, as you live your day-to-day life, this is for everyone everywhere. Not a select few is going to go to an exotic destination. This is for everyone everywhere as you live your life in Etobicoke or in Vaughan or in downtown Toronto or in Hamilton or wherever you're from. As you go to Seneca College tomorrow, as you go to your job, as you go to wherever your week will take you, as you go to have this in our mind, the mission of God, it's the heart of, it's who God is, not what he just does. It's who he is. And so in part, as a disciple of Jesus, it becomes who I am. I just look at life differently. I look at life as how Jesus would like me to look at life. Not perfectly. we got to grow in that. But essentially, that's the heart we're trying to get. As you go, baptizing them. What is baptizing? It's, a, it's an initiation. We, we love baptisms in this church. It's a great way for people to go public with their faith. Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But it's really important for you to identify uh, your initiation into the faith by doing baptism. And so we baptize people. And we say that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is who uh, you are. This is the essence you're being baptized into. You get the, the, the character of the Trinity in you. You get the missional heart of God. You're being baptized in that through your identification with Jesus' death and resurrection. And then he says, teaching them to obey all things. Now, this hits me hard. I'm, I'm wired. I'm a learner. I love teaching. It's part of my gifting. It's part of the call of God upon my life. And so he says, teaching them not to know stuff. Not even to believe stuff or understand stuff. What does he say? Teach them to obey. Oh, that hits me because I love knowledge. I love understanding things. I love just absorbing stuff. I love reading the Bible. And that's good, but it's not good if it's just that. If it believing never integrates with living. And living it out is the hard part. Learning, understanding, knowing. We are in a society where that is off the chain. You can get at the, the a few seconds click, depending on your network connection, you are in 
the university of some of the world's greatest minds. Never in a time in history have you ever had access to knowledge and information and understanding. And Jesus says, no, it's teaching them, so understanding is important, to live this out. That's hard. That's why discipleship is an ongoing thing. It's so much harder than just making a decision for Jesus. And teaching them all things. All right, so let's look at some implications as we close off here. So if we're going to take Jesus seriously, if we're going to take this great commission seriously, the focus is not primarily on make disciples first, is are you and I a disciple of Jesus? There's the, there's the first part. I mean, it kind of assumes that, but let's pull that out. Jesus, like, are we following Jesus? You know, Jesus' first words to his church aren't go and make. Are, his first words are repent and believe, right? Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we, we looked at this in the first week. Again, if you want to go back in the series. But Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What story are you in? What reality are you believing what narrative is the culture narrative the one that you are you chasing after what the culture is telling you is important or it's true is good the kingdom of god over here is an alternative reality and jesus is inviting us not inviting us actually <laughs> he's commanding us to repent turn from other things and say believe this good news believe this reality jesus is lord all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Secondly, repent and believe. Very quickly after that comes the words of discipleship. Come and follow. Matthew chapter 4, 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out on my mission and on my purpose. And so our primary call is to be a follower of Jesus in the church and for society. And so here at Every Nation GTA, there are many different ways churches define that, and that's great. I think they should have some very you know, creative ways to do that. For us here, the paradigm for being a disciple is quite simply, it's following Jesus together um, in community on mission. When you walked in here, you might have seen a big banner that says, follow the call, and that's in essence what we're trying to do. The disciple of Jesus is someone who's following the call. The call is to follow Jesus is to follow him together in community with people following him, and it's to follow him into the world, out into the light, because he's a missional God. Right? He loves the people. He loves us, but he also loves the people that are not here. You know, he loves the people that are waking up with a hangover this morning. He loves the people that are waking up crippled with anxiety this morning. He loves the people that have no interest in him this morning. And so we need to also love those people if God loves those people, and we do that as we follow him and love him. As we love him, have, have you ever been in love? If you have ever been in love or you want to be in love, this you, 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 can, you can love the things the person that you love loves. Not all things. <laughs> my, my wife loves spreadsheets. She really does. She's accounting and numbers background. I haven't grown to love that. And I'm, I'm very okay with that, by the way. I'm very okay with that. But there are certain things you can grow to love. When you love someone, you can grow to love what they love. And when we love God, when we love Jesus, we can grow to love things that he loves that may not be in your nature to love. People that may not be natural for you to love, you can grow to love them because there's a love in deeper and there's a bigger love in you. Uh, it's the love of Jesus in you, through you, for those people. So following Jesus together in community on his mission, that means personal transformation. Your walk with Jesus is really important, but not just your walk with Jesus, communal transformation. You know, one of, one of the most, most subversive things I think today is prioritizing being together with people because everything in our society is individualistic. 
Everything is about the individual. Everything in life is becoming easier for you to be separated from people. You know, work from home, uh, you know, online everything, 24-7. And those are great technologies and, uh, you know, I'm not knocking some of that, but the, nothing's going to change. We're still relational beings. That stuff can help that or it can, it can harm that. So let's make sure we embrace the stuff that helps that not takes that away. And then lastly, it's, it's being formed missionally. It's, it's being thinking through what it means to follow Jesus in my day-to-day life, in my week. And then lastly, repent and believe, come and follow, and here come the words, go and make, or as you go and make. As you go, like, who, where am I going? Who am I going to? You might have this question. Well, that's a good question to ask, and, and maybe you do get an answer that does call you to go to a different place. I believe that still is a call in some people's lives. I would say for the vast majority of you, the answer to that is, well, what does your week look like? What does your month look like? Where are you regularly going? It's like, well, I'm in university. Do you think God might want to have, do you do something there? Well, I, I'm at this work, I've been at this workplace for five years and I have no intention of it. Do you think that God maybe want you to look around there with fresh eyes? So it doesn't need to be, doesn't need to be uh, over like complex. It can just be as simple as that. Well, let me just start there. Help me to see that. So as you go, and then we, um, we introduced this thing called Pepsi to help us with that assumption of evangelism of engaging people like you just can't go up to people in the street and say would you like to be a disciple but we can begin to make deeper connections with people that are already in our world hopefully um, make natural connections with people or take a a relationship further um, uh, with people and we use this acronym pepsi pray eat bless connect invite we'll be talking a lot more about this. We're bringing this back into our church culture. And so don't worry if you don't fully get it right now. But all we're saying right now is there, is there one to five maybe people um, that you can begin to pray for uh, that you see on a regular basis on your campus, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, where you go work out, where you hang out, where you, whatever you social. Could, could you just begin to commit some of those people who are far from God to prayer? You say, I don't know anyone who's far from God. Okay, well, there's your prayer. That, and legitimately, some of us, it's, it's sometimes hard, like legitimately for whatever one reason or another, maybe you've, you've just, you don't know any people who are far from God. There's lots of them out there, by the way, so that's the good news. Right, God can answer that prayer. And so maybe that's your first prayer, God. I don't really have a relationship with anyone who's far from God. Start there. Um, can you eat and drink with them like Jesus did? Can you hang out with them? Can you hang out with people who are far from God? And can you have a conversation and get to know them? Can you look for ways to bless them? And there's different ways you can bless them. Can we connect with their story? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. Tell me what you believe. Like, okay, what, did you ever grow up in faith? And it doesn't have to be a, rig- a religious talk at first, but it could get into there as people ask you questions about your life, that you don't have to hide what you are, what you believe, who you are, and get them to ask questions. And then I is invite. Can you begin to look to invite them into a church community, maybe a service or a small group or cake? My, a couple of my other friends were going to go out and do this. Do you want to come along? So that's a, something that we're doing very practically in this grand cosmic thing of being on mission with God. Okay, go and make disciples. All we've got is Pepsi. <laughs> but if we could be faithful with that, what could God do with that? What could God do with that? I want to end off 
I'm going to invite Jacob back up. We're going to sing a song of worship. But I don't want to end off with that because that's not where Jesus ends off. What's the last word he gives to his disciples? It's in verse 20, right? What's the last? We can bring it up on the screen, Natalie. What's the last word? And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that you is plural. So if you, we were in the south, and surely I'm with you all, you all, always, the community, his church, the people. Making disciples is not a solo effort. It's a team sport. You might be really good at something that I'm not good. You might be incredible at hospitality, but weak on some things. We can together be this community. I am with you all, always, all day, every day. Isn't it staggering? I read this and it never hit me. I've, I've read this passage many times, preached this passage a few times, heard many sermons in this passage. And it hit me this week. He said, I am with you always, not you are with me. You find that interesting? I am with you always. Jesus is about to go. But he says to his disciples, who are probably pretty nervous about him going, like, this is great. You're the risen Christ. We're going to do this stuff now. I can't wait to go up into Caesar's face and Rome's face because how many people have they raised from the dead? And he's like, no, it's not going to work like that. We're going to change the world, but very differently, slowly, more subversive than you ever thought or imagined. And I'm going to go, what? But if I don't go, I don't send the Holy Spirit. And I am with you through the Spirit. I am with you always as you are, as we are about this business of being on mission for Jesus. We're not just showing up and doing our religious service. Tick. I did the church thing. I can go and enjoy the rest of my week. No, it's about living in a different reality. He said, I am with you. I'm joining you in that. That's staggering to me. Staggering to me. It hit me. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe this is just for me. So it'll encourage me. It's staggering that he didn't say, hey, you're with me. He says, I am with you. I'm not abandoned this world. I love this world. I've not abandoned creation. Wherever you go this week, I am with you. In the most mundane task that you're doing this week, the most ordinary job you think that you have, I am with you. Always went to the end of the age. And then it's going to get exciting, really exciting. And so can we stand and sing? Can we worship Jesus? Can we invite him? Or can we respond to his invitation to step into a greater reality? And so Jesus, you said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. And may our hearts and minds be swept up in that reality today. Not that that dismisses the very real lives that we go back to, but far from it. And, and if anything, it energizes us to step back into our worlds because you said you are with us always as we're about your business. And Lord, we, we try our best at making disciples. We know sometimes the church has been good at that. Sometimes it's fumbled that. We know even in this church, we, we try to do our best. But ultimately, Lord, we know it's your heart, your desire. And as we do our feeble things, as we begin to pray and look for ways to build relationship with people far from you, Lord, would you help us in our small tasks of doing that as we seek to obey your words, your great commission to your great church and to be a people that follow Jesus and invite others to follow him. Um, in your name we pray and ask this. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.